From Santa Barbara, California, the Timeless Voyager series, where the knowledge is timeless and you are the Voyager. Interviews with leading-edge authors and speakers, psychic phenomena and the unexplained, UFOs, extraterrestrial encounters, government cover-ups, alternative health care, new technologies. Fasten your cosmic seatbelts and join me, your host, Bruce Stephen Holmes, the Timeless Voyager. Hello, everyone. Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager. My guest today is Donna D'Angelo, founder of the Institute of Christ Consciousness. Now, Donna says that she has been immersed in a lifelong pursuit of the ways of spirit, from early religious teachings in the Christian church to finding the Urantia book many years ago. Uh, she says that her devotion to spiritual growth has been the central theme of her life by making the world more lovely. Donna has studied many forms of natural healing that was catalyzed by a traumatic experience in 1991 when she began to perceive and transmit celestial messages and receive training from her spirit helpers to facilitate generation to facilitate generational healing, DNA repatterning, and repatterning traumatic life events. In 2002, Donna founded the Center for Christ Consciousness to further the work of healing, personal and planetary transformation, and to introduce people to our wonderful divine parents and their own indwelling spirits. Since then, the mission has expanded into collaborating with a wide variety of celestial personalities who are involved in the uplifting of the human and planet's system of consciousness. Finally, Donna says that as more transformational energies bathe the planet, the Institute of Christ Consciousness is well poised to be a major influence in building this heavenly culture on our beloved world. Welcome to Timeless Voyager, Donna. Thank you, Bruce. It's good to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. So, it's hard to know where to start, and I was wondering, why don't we, uh, if, you, if it's okay with you, what do you think of the idea of just talking a little bit about three of the books that you've uh, written, and, and maybe that will help us move into this particular interview today? Would that be uh, okay with you? Certainly, certainly. Um, the first book that I wrote was not necessarily my, all my words. It was kind of given to me uh, when I first started to co to commune with spiritual beings. They encouraged me to develop the practice of learning to quiet my mind to receive the higher frequencies of spirit that would help my human mind engage with higher spiritual information. And the cornerstone of my first book, Teach Us to Love, is all about developing that quiet 
still mind so that the inner voice, the voice of God within or the indwelling spirit can be perceived. God's indwelling presence within us is our divine pilot and our eternal guide. And that guide is here to support our development as a human, to bring out our spiritual creative potential. And the book centers around the practice of quieting the mind or a stillness meditation of elevating human conscious up to a higher level to perceive the spirit within the love, the intimacy, the, the companionship that the spirit has for each human indwelling. And then there are also talked about some spiritual habits to develop that foster spiritual growth, like forgiveness seeing the presence of God in others and healing. And then from there, uh, several years later, I authored the book Divine Mother, Divine Father, which is based on the relationship that we have with two spiritual personalities who actually are our universe spirit parents. And just as we have human parents, we have spirit parents, a perfect Mother, who represents the patterns of divine, the divine feminine nature, and the spirit father, who represents the perfect pattern of the masculine, divine masculine nature. And their synergy supports our human life here on this world to evolve into what we might consider to be um, spiritually enlightened human beings in a manner that Jesus was able to craft his humanity to become more divinely conscious of who he really was. And this is a very, it's a 10, um, excuse me, 100 messages, 50 from the mother, 50 from the father. They talk about who they are and their relationship in our lives and how they support us uh, in our spiritual development And so from there, there was another book that is um, not in print anymore, but it was also channeled teachings from a spiritual being by the name of Wellmeck, who gave us a a group of um, individuals uh, these incredible lessons on prayer, how to communicate with the universe, how to connect with spiritual beings who are here to support us. So this led me to um, the next book, which we'll be talking about today, and this is called The Women Who Love Jesus. And I'd just like to give a little bit of background of this book. The Arantia book is a very large spiritual revelation that helps us understand our nature with reality, who we are, who God is, the nature of deity and how deity expresses itself throughout the vast starry realms, even down into this planet. Part four of the Arantia book describes the life and teachings of Jesus in a way that is much more expansive than the biblical gospel account of his life. In the Urantia book, in part four, there is reference to how he commissioned 12 women to be his female apostles, 
just as he commissioned 12 men to be his male apostles, he also did this with 12 women who were devoted to him to act as his female apostles who had a similar mission and ministry as the male apostles, but from what you might call a feminine perspective. There is no mention of these women in the Bible, but many years ago I was contacted by them, and most recently, a few years ago, they invited me to tell their stories. They said it was time for the record of of Christianity to be rectified about the role of women in the evolving Christian church. They told me that they were the social network that laid the spiritual foundation for the teachings of Jesus to be promulgated throughout the Roman Empire and Levant. Now, this is not recorded in any but as far as I know, other um, texts or uh, periodicals or anything like this, this, this was an attempt to have them contact a human to convey their life stories and how Jesus changed them through divine love, his ministrations of divine love, to recognize their soul value as women, as individuals. And then the women decided after Jesus commissioned them to be an apostolic group, how they organized and ministered to people the teachings that Jesus conveyed to to them, as well as some of the healing techniques that he taught them, things that the male apostles were not ready to perceive but things that Jesus taught the women because of women as being the vessels of life and having a special relationship with the Divine Mother, who in my book, Divine Mother, Divine Father, represents the womb of consciousness. She gives us the ability to think, feel, and and act. And without her spiritual endowments actually hardwired into our physical mind and bodies, we would not exist. And so women, as the containers of life, are in a different position than men, and so Jesus trained them in a different way than the men. The men were more the teachers and the preachers. The women were more of the healers and provided a loving social network for people to come and receive the ministrations from Jesus and the male apostles. So it was a very different approach. And when they asked me to convey their story, they wanted women of the modern day and and, and men too, to understand that in the eyes of God, men and women are equal. Jesus was really the first woman's liberator. He loved women. He loved his mother. He could not understand why his mother was segregated in the synagogue from the rest of the men, knowing that women have spiritual potential. So this was his attempt to show his culture at that time that women have the same standing before God. And this can replicate now into our modern-day religious institution 
to bring women back into the forefront as ministers, ordained ministers of the gospel that Jesus preached, which I also want to convey here through this book, and which is also related in the Arantia book, that the original gospel that Jesus preached is not the same as the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is, to kind of briefly paraphrase it, is belief in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord and accept him as your Lord and Savior. But Jesus' gospel was much more simple. It was faith in God or faith in the creator of all and loving service in the family of humanity. That's it. And, of course, there's many different ways in which a a person can serve to love humanity. But it's basically a message of having faith in the creator, opening your heart to the creator, and letting the creator's guiding presence within. He, to, to lead a person throughout their spiritual development. Now, Jesus used the words, the kingdom of of God or kingdom of heaven is within. He used those words because that was a familiar term in his day and time, the word kingdom. But it's really the family of God. God's presence lives within each one of us through our indwelling spirits. And we are all in unified in that love relationship, regardless of our gender, our intellectual development, our emotional maturity, our innate talents and abilities, our cultural uh, differences. We are all one in the family of God. And Jesus' message was to bring the two ends together, the relationship we have with the divine and deity, and how we go about showing that love in service to our brothers and sisters. And that was the gospel that he preached. The women, and they're sharing their stories with me, really underscored how Jesus was able to evoke such a spiritual response in them that it was able to cut through their cultural conditioning and help them feel their authentic human self and the purposes for which they were here as humans. Now, can I just interrupt a second? Let me let me ask you a question. Uh, you just made a statement that I found interesting, and I thought I would underline it. Are you saying that these twelve women were, uh, let's say, channeled by you and and answered that question or brought that up, or are you saying women in general? I I, I lost a little bit of what you were saying. The women, the 12 women related their stories to me, their individual stories. That's what I want to know. Their stories are relevant for all humans, especially the women of this world who are having challenges in understanding their innate value. Because what Jesus did for them was when they were before him or they would hear his words, they were electrifying and they created some kind of a catalyzing spark of truth recognition within them that helped them to move beyond their cultural conditioning and begin to feel their authentic self. That was kind of what you might say buried beneath the influences and traditions of their culture. 
Not all of the women were of the Jewish tradition. There was a woman who was the daughter of a Roman centurion. And then there was another woman who was the uh, daughter of a, what you might call, um, uh, I'm searching for the words. Uh, I don't necessarily want to use the word pagan, but that's the only word that comes to me. A pagan physician. He didn't, he, he believed in, you know, not in monotheism, but in, you know, in, in many gods, but he was a physician and he understood the herbs and the, some of the healing properties of plants. And she, this was a woman who was raised in the religious tradition of her family, but she stepped aside from that when she had an encounter with Jesus and that evoked a response in her of who she was. So now his, his mother wasn't a scene. Right. Um, I I'm coming from the Arantia book tradition. They do not really go into uh, okay. that in terms of the Arantia book's perspective of Jesus' human life. They do talk about his biology and inheritance from both his mother and his father. Um, the account in the Arantia book says that uh, the virgin birth was a uh, that didn't happen. It wasn't, she was not a virgin. Mary and Joseph were married at the time. So Jesus's biological inheritance was both, was from both parents. Uh, but he had something. Which is interesting because even though the Bible puts forth that concept of the virgin birth, somehow when they need to forget about that, they refer to Jesus's father, Joseph, as this and that. And they leave out a lot of the information that you just mentioned really quickly, which was that there was a family there. Yes. And then, as a matter of fact, wasn't one of Jesus's brothers part of the the, the twelve male disciples? No, no, oh. they they were not. Uh, his family members uh, were not a part of his ministry, and he did that intentionally because he did not want to generate some kind of uh, lineage back to him that would kind of develop a personality cult. He left no writings. He left no progeny. He did not have his uh, siblings a part of his ministry, although they were be- there were some that were believers in him. But they were separate from the apostolic core that Jesus commissioned. So what the one of the other main themes of their story is that these women laid the social foundation for the promulgation of the gospel that later evolved into the Christian church. They did not realize that they were generating a condition to foster a new religion. They were just acting out of their complete love and devotion to Jesus And what he encouraged them to do was to go out and minister to people, heal their inner wounds, make them a whole person so they could start their communion with their own indwelling spirit and lead a much more enjoyable human life experience with a a deeper spiritual connection. That message is relevant for today and probably even more necessary as we struggle with the social conditions that are affecting this world and leading us on a very, very destructive path. 
Now, before we go too far, just want, yeah. want to come back for a second. So one of the main issues I've always had with the Bible story of Jesus is that I always felt that there was too much of Paul. I'm talking about Paul, who was born 40 years after Jesus had already uh, left the planet. And I don't mean in a death either, but whatever the story is. And I always felt that there was a, a an amount of of um, liturgy that was not necessarily from Jesus's mouth, so to speak. Is that your understanding? And if if it is, do you, do you have a moment to to discuss that? Absolutely, and I think it is a very relevant point because it also underscores the fact that what the women created did get adulterated by Paul and the later missionaries in their zeal to uh, have converts into the growing group of Christian believers. Well, he even had, I'm sorry, Paul even had the, I'm going to say this, I, I feel like I'm a little bit more, Usually I, I try to remain <laughs> as noncommittal as ever, but in this particular case, I, I just want to say this. He had the arrogance to call himself an apostle to top this thing off. Now, I don't know why he did that, um, and, and maybe you have a thought on that. I'll leave it to you. I, I don't know. Maybe when he had his conversion on the road to Damascus, there was mm. some information that Jesus was asking him to take up the the helm and and on this uh, journey of apostleship. I, I don't know, but that's Paul, a good answer. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate. It. <laughs> You're welcome. But Paul did have a bias against women. Um, and even the male apostles did not understand why Jesus commissioned these women. I mean, you have to keep in mind what the feeling was toward women in general in the Jewish tradition. You know, women were relegated to second-class citizens, and they didn't have any rights. They were the property, if you will, of their husbands or their fathers, and this was a condition that was very difficult for the men to overcome. It was shocking to the 12 male apostles that Jesus had the audacity to commission 12 women uh, as his equal partners with, with his male apostles. It was very difficult for them. But going back to your statement about Paul, keep in mind that in the zeal to have converts to the growing community of believers in Jesus' teachings, that he did. He made a lot of concessions to certain religious belief systems at the time, and one of them was Mithraism. And I have never studied the cult of Mithraism, but they do explain in the Arantia book that in the Mithraic tradition, there was a savior son who was born of a virgin whose feast day was December 25th. So you can easily see how that tradition could have been blended into the growing believers of of Jesus through Paul, who made that concession. Well, as long as you believe in Jesus, you can have that belief coming in. The purity of the women and what they created was a social environment of love, of acceptance, of letting people 
be heard. They would sit with people and let people tell them their stories, pour out their hearts and their woes. And they would minister. They ministered not only to the needs of the body, they ministered to the soul. They now that's listened. very important. Again, I, wanna, I just want to, to underline that just for a moment. Because you get the impression, or at least I get the impression from, from studying the Bible, that um, there isn't a lot of attention paid on the physiology. Am I correct in that? Or okay. And so well, when women yeah. became healers, I think there's a there's there has been. I don't mean to step on your words, but it appears to me that when women become healers or are healers, uh, you get this feeling that they somehow moved away from you know the the, the Bible and are now sometimes regarded as, uh, well, you used the term before just because it was a hard term. It's a, not a good term, but it's one that's interesting. Paganism. I mean, it does. paganism doesn't have to be polytheistic. It can be uh, monotheistic, but you still are using the information from nature, let's say, uh, healing, herbs, and so on and so forth. And I'll, I'll stop there, but I wanted to say that, that you're touching on something very important in my, my perception. And, and it is very important because, well, first of all, Jesus understood the natural world, too. And he was very much drawn to nature. In the Arantia book, it would talk about how he would go out and commune with nature and commune with God, his own spirit. And it was a very, it, it provided him a very conducive setting to still his mind and to make uh, contact with his own indwelling spirit for higher guidance. And so the natural world is here to support us. I, I mean, we, we eat the plants and the vegetables and the fruits. I mean, this is here, here to support human life as and other energetic um, components of, of the planet. So women were generally regarded as the family hearth keepers. So of course they were very much involved in the health of the, 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 the whole family, the children keeping people away from being ill. So this was a really big important component of the women's uh, ministry because they only not ministered to the needs of the body through their medicines of herbs and, and essential oils, but they also minister to the needs of the soul. And Jesus's heart of compassion was such that he he wanted all humanity to be healed of these maladies of superstitions you know to be able to stand in the authenticity of who they are as children of God and and that is validating our soul value saying to each individual you have the right to be here you have the right to express yourself you have a right to develop your relationship with your creator and this is one of the things that the women did so magnificently in providing that loving social environment for people to come and just have a chance to relieve themselves of their burdens and be ministered to in a very loving, supportive way so that it would catalyze their spiritual growth, which is all about developing your moral compass and your relationship with your creator and living a, um, a happy human life. So they, they were really the foundation 
of what later evolved to be the Christian church. Now, I'm not underscore, uh, undercutting what the apostles did. Their teachings were very important, their preachings. But it has to be balanced. There has to be a balance with the male and the, fem- the, the female energies. And this is the part that's really relevant for right now because we are such an unbalanced planet. And to bring women back into their rightful roles, not only in the religious institution, but in all institutions of life, but not acting as men in taking on what men's role are, but taking on what the woman's role is in planetary culture. And the women are the nurturers, the healers, and the social spiritual standard bearers. Women tend to be more moral than men, and men tend to be a little bit more intellectually driven. Women are more heart-centered, and women need to understand their power that comes to them from the divine mother and father so that we can resume our rightful role on the planet and help our brothers, help our men be balanced so that we can create social institutions that are not only intellectually sound, but heart-based. They're based on love and compassion, kindness, patience, and many of those qualities that Jesus represented represented as a what you might call an enlightened male. So there's there's a lot of correction that needs to be done on this planet. And this book is attempt to help people in the Christian belief system and really in any belief system understand the role of women on the planet, especially in in um, the development of a higher social order that's more spiritually enlightened. Now, you uh, alluded to, I should say, in the introduction that I spoke on, I believe that you alluded to the idea of of many of these different personalities that come through. Uh, Would you like to comment on that a little bit? Okay. (laughs) Um, It wasn't a great transition, but... (laughs) No, no, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I know for some people, the idea of channeling can be a little bit um, curious and speculative. I didn't understand it myself until it happened to me in the early 90s when I started to meditate and I could feel energies in my head. And I had an experience which was very profound to open my what you might call my communication channels in my mind to perceive spiritual information and as i opened up to this i made contact with a variety of what you might call um, humans from other worlds who were here to help us in our spiritual development during this particular phase of our planetary evolution and also started to make direct contact with the divine mother and divine father and to feel their loving presence and how fundamental it is for us to develop these deeper inner relationships that are the basis of our spiritual foundation for our human natures. So over the years, I've had many contact with variety of of personalities, some divine beings like our divine parents who are perfect spiritual parents for us and other personalities who are here whispering into human mind with higher information 
to help us change our planetary habits of misusing the planet's natural resources, uh, our relationships that tend to devolve into separation and acrimony, and to bring us back into the true meaning of what humans are here to do, and that is to use the planet's natural resources in conjunction with divine principles of life, what you might call divine law or God's will, and to be loving and supportive brothers and sisters to one another. So my education from them was all based on helping me develop my own inner skills, and I began to understand that I was really, from my own personal interest, so sick of all the anger and fighting and war and poverty and disease that we have here that it took me on a path of really understanding how we got so messed up and what is the way back. And it's all through spiritual development and understanding how to use the natural resources of the planet in a higher way that is consistent with with the divine principles of life. So they've helped me in that regard. And it's too many to talk about, but I I love them. And I'm so appreciative of all the help that they've given me because without that, I don't think I would have been able to develop my internal intuitive abilities to now do what we call some very deep repatterning work to help human nature release all of these impediments that have been placed on it of separation mentality, uh, help, you know, helping people move out of unworthiness and to feel more of that authentic higher self within them that guides them along their path of becoming a more enriched, happy and purposeful human being. So they have been instrumental in helping me. And the beauty of this is any person is really welcome to open up to spiritual helpers because we live in a friendly universe. And our universe brothers and sisters have a very vested interest in helping this world grow out of its separation from the rest of the universe family and come home. And, and so they want to communicate with us. They want to give us these spiritual lessons. They know that we have been so love-deprived here on this world, which is the source of all of our social problems. Love doesn't hurt. Love doesn't seek to um, uh, aggrandize itself over, you know, lord it over one person over the other. You know, and, and the women's ministry, going back to the 12 women apostles that Jesus commissioned, they were so devoted to Jesus and were picking up on the spiritual vibrations that he was emanating, that he could catalyze these various spiritual dynamics for them. Unity, harmony, the ability to get along, the ability to communicate from soul to soul level, which is something that we as humans do not do, which would end a lot of our our acrimony and communication with one another. But this is something that we still need to develop. And this is one of the factors that these spiritual teachers are here to help us overcome our spiritual deprivations 
get more grounded in our spiritual foundation, that our human natures become healthier and happier. And we can be here on the planet in the way in which we were designed by our creator to love the planet and to support all life here for all humans to develop a happy, purposeful life and to use the natural resources of the planet in conjunction with divine will or law. Now, so, I, I, just, I just wanted to interrupt. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what I was thinking about, uh, because you you bring so much information in, and if I don't stop you for a moment, some of it is, I don't know if it's important or not, but I think it is. Okay, I think uh, if we go back a little bit, let's go back to uh, the Arantia book, because I think what you were saying um, would underline this particular point, and that is that um, I don't know how long this planet has been here, but there are folks been here a long, long time, and there have been many human species that have been on here. So whether that's important or not, um, I think it might be good if, if, since you seem to be very well read on the Your book, I am one of those people who who got it, and I scanned it over the last fifty years. But I certainly will never say that I read the whole. But there was a point that was very important right in the beginning. I think it was in the first uh, first section, which is about the Luciferian rebellion, and. Um, just to put this in context, it's not like we were never part of, let's say, the, um, uh, I, I'll use godly or, or more, I'm losing a word here. But the point I guess I'm trying to make is, after the Luciferian Rebellion is when we were finally separated from the rest of our families, let's say, in the universe, the universal family. I wonder if you could comment a little bit on that, if, if it's appropriate. Well, I can, and actually I can comment on that a lot because I was told to do a deep dive into the dynamics of the Lucifer Rebellion and what it did on this planet, which has been the foundation of my work of generational healing to help people unplug from that insidious influence that separated us from our creator, that separated us from the rest of our universe family. It's a huge topic to discuss. And we are in the throes of outworking this right now when we see a very evil agenda about basically destroying the planet, destroying humanity, right in our face, and this is the time for us to choose whether or not we want to participate in this dark agenda, or if we want to choose the light, the ways of God, the ways of love, the ways of compassion. To put it in a nutshell, what happened here on this planet was that we, our world was a part of a system of worlds into uh, that were a part of a larger planetary um, aggregation. The head of the system that our planet was a part of, his name was Lucifer, and he decided that he did not like the divine plan of evolution that was put forth by the divine father, who is known in the universe as Christ Michael, 
who is also known as the human Jesus. He incarnated here on this world because our planet was so backwards and so spiritually deprived that he came here to set the record straight and to end the Lucifer Rebellion uh, in his particular sector of the world that he was the administrator for. I have to just stop here to, to gather my thoughts to, to put this in a nutshell. So basically what happened, Lucifer did not like the divine plan of evolution, which was to evolve humans from a very crude, primitive, indigenous human up to a high, uh, spiritually enlightened being like, like what Jesus demonstrated. He said it took too long, so he decided to... to take this planet and other planets under his jurisdiction into rebellion against the divine plan and put his own plan of evolution in place. That attempt, or what he did, separated us from the rest of the universe because the universe mother, who is the womb of consciousness, does not want her children to, you know, uh, devolve from the divine plan. So there were circuits of connectivity from this planet to the rest of the universe that were severed. Now, the good news is that these connections are now res- restored, and this is one of the reasons we're going through this phase right now, because there's this mas- massive spiritual rehabilitation underway. But what Lucifer did was to separate us from our creator by putting himself in the place of God. And when you read the Bible and, and you look at some of the ways in which God is described as a vengeful, wrathful deity who's just waiting to mark down your sins and, you know, wreak havoc on your life. That is more of the Luciferic deity concept. It is not the nature of God. And that's why Jesus came to show the nature of God is loving, approachable, compassionate, understanding. So he separated us from our creator by putting himself in place as the object of worship. He did not like the way humans were evolving, so he tried to speed it up. And then he did not recognize our creator father, Christ Michael, as his, his sovereign authority. He said, I'm the authority in my domain. I'm going to do it my way. So he took our world and 36 other worlds into a, a deviant plan of evolution And this is where we get all of this separation mentality from. It comes from this event that transpired on this world 250,000 years ago. So our planets, what you might call our genetic biology, which does have memory and is impacted by spiritual energies, we have been evolving in a very deviant way. And I've done a very deep dive into this in my ministry of healing. I, under, I look into the memory patterns of an individual and ask the Divine Mother and Father to come in and help a person release the information uh, in their DNA so they can get back into more of that love dynamic and the information that their consciousness needs. Now, this is very complex, and I'm just kind of giving you a very brief uh, overview of the rebellion and the work that I do to help people unplug from this insidious influence that foments a feeling of unworthiness 
feeling of powerlessness, feelings of fear and anxiety. And this is all correctable. This is not the way God intended us to live. So what we're going through right now is a massive change of coming back to our spiritual foundation, our spiritual origins. And this book of the women who love Jesus, the account of the 12 women apostles, is here to help us and restore that feminine masculine balance on the planet where both men and women are in charge of the planet in a balanced way, not just, you know, having a patriarchal model or a matriarchal model, which can tend to unbalance things, but to have women and men work harmoniously together where women's power and men's power are synergistic, complemental, and can work together in a way that will create social institutions that are equitable, sustainable, loving, and support all humanity. And we have never done this before. We have never developed our spiritual potential that uh, God has given us to create. So this is a really big thing we're talking about here. (laughs) This book is just one little piece of it. But the ministry of the Institute of Christ Consciousness is here to support the development of these social institutions that have these, what you might call more harmonious, balanced principles as the under, uh, under the driving mechanism for the social institutions to reform. So we are in a big, big energy soup of all of, of kind of letting go of the bad and the evil that we don't want anymore and bringing in the good. So we're kind of in a spiritual renaissance. And uh, it's, a, it's a really wonderful time for people to awaken to their spiritual potential and come into a greater appreciation of their relationship, of who they are to our creator and the love in which they, will, they have always existed. And these women experience this firsthand by just being in Jesus' proximity because he emanated that perfect divine love to each woman. And to everyone, you know, some people were able to receive it, but these women were so ready to receive his love that catalyzed who they were so they could go out and form this group and do these wonderful things that have now laid a foundation for real planetary change to occur on this world. The question I think that I have at this moment then is this. These 12 women... um, do we get to know their names when we get the book? Or oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, they are identified in the Arantia book. And um, their names, each woman has her own story. Uh, there's 12 stories. And then there is a collective story at the beginning of kind of like setting their collective voice of setting the uh, the tone of what people will read in the, uh, the 12 individual accounts. And the main theme of their individual accounts uh, is what Jesus did in them to evoke this incredible response of inner recognition of who they really were, are, and the, the, the divine dignity and value they had as a, as a human being, which Jesus imparts to everyone, whether it's 2,000 years ago or now. Um, and they talk about how Jesus 
imbued humanity with the spirit of truth so we would have direct access to him after he ascended uh, uh, when his mission was completed here. So, yeah, (laughs) there's a lot here. (laughs) It's a big thing that's happening on the planet right now. And there are many different uh, pieces that are adding to the puzzle to bring about this big correction, uh, this big picture of correction that's underway. So now that we see the, the, uh, the picture, what is the possibility that we're moving towards? What, what, are, we, what are we looking at? Are we looking at, uh, now, now I, I'll bring this in just for the sake of it. Perhaps people aren't aware of this, but there's actually Lucifer, Satan, and Caligasia, three different beings. I don't know that they're necessarily aligned because when I when I first read the Urantia book, I was completely blown away by the idea that this group of planets was known as uh, Satan or Satan. Satania. Satania. I'm sorry, Satania. And that that actually wasn't a person. That was the first thing that I, or did I misspeak there? The universe is composed of many different administrative branches to organize and administer the evolution of the entire universe. So we have, we are one world and the next administrative level above us is called the system. And then there are higher administrative levels above that until you get to this big universe which is called Nebadon, and there is the potential of 10 million worlds such as ours in that larger aggregate starry configuration. So Lucifer had administrative control of potential 1,000 planets. I don't know if all the planets have been developed yet in the system, but the system name was Satania, and Satan was named after that. Lucifer was what they call him, the term they use in the Arantia book, the system sovereign. Right. Satan was his assistant, like second in command. Mm-hmm. And Caligastia was the name of the spiritual being who was in charge of this world to shepherd the indigenous population to evolve to a higher reflective planetary, uh, heavenly planetary culture. So he be, he was an apostate uh, being. He sided with Lucifer and Satan to take the world into rebellion. But they are three individual personalities. The Urantia book does not, um, uh, I'm sorry, the Urantia book uses the name Caligastia in, in kind of like synonymous with the devil. But the name Caligastia is not in the Bible. So they, they say that's kind of like the, the concept of where we got the devil from, from this being who said, I'm going to follow Lucifer instead of following the divine plan of evolution. It's, it's a complex story, but in part three and in part two, they talk about the Lucifer rebellion, and they also talk about the planetary rebellion. When I read that the first time, way, way back, this was in the early 70s, I was very young. And I was just coming out of a 
traditional Christian church, which was not satisfying my spiritual longings. And I read that for the first time that explains why everything is, like, is the way it is on the planet. I had to conclude this has to be true. It makes too much sense. It just, it just fit, you know, it was a very concise description of our place in the universe and what happened here on this planet. And this is why the Urantia book came into being in the early part of the 20th century was to set the record straight because the planetary supervisors, the spiritual supervision of this planet saw that we were developing our material uh, well-being and technologies, but they were vastly outpacing our moral and our spiritual development. And the Urantia book is an epical revelation to not for this just for this generation or the previous generation but for future generations to help us get back on track with the divine plan of evolution so that we can all work together and create a higher planetary culture where love and compassion and higher technologies are are part of the uh, way of life here so we've got a long way to go we're in a recovery phase, and this is why it's so difficult for people, because it's like the new way wants to come in, but people have their energetic mind memory roots in the old way, and that's those tethers are loosening. More light comes in, sheds light on the darkness. The memory roots are untethered, and it brings about a lot of emotional instability and mental uncertainty. And this is what we're going through right now. Many people are... I use the uh, example of um, developing real estate. Before you can develop the real estate and quote-unquote improve the area, you have to tear down the one that's there. And there's plenty of problems with tearing things down because people don't want to change. And yet change, as you said before, is something that is going to happen. Right, right. You know, and in in the healing work that I do, I kind of use a metaphor of a house or a plant. The plant has its roots in soil, and that soil has been uh, what you might call polluted with air. And so when the light comes into the soil, it's releasing the roots, and the roots are feeling a little bit uh, unsure. What's going on here? Why am I feeling so unsteady? But the beautiful thing about the light coming in, it's going to nurture the roots and make them stronger and more resilient. And it's going to feed the plant with the rain of, uh, of, of unconditional love and compassion so the plant can grow strong and healthy. In the metaphor of a house, we have a foundation that has cracked. It is breaking up now because more truth light is coming in. And what happens in, in our spiritual foundation, it's like the language that has brought us into separation is now being recalibrated to a higher truth. So it's helping the spiritual foundation get re-cemented to uphold that individual's human nature so you can grow and thrive and be purposeful in who you are and be free of this um very deeply ingrained fear that is still being promoted by certain agendas on our planet that do not want to release their control. So we're in the midst of a really, really big 
change. And a lot of people don't understand it because they don't have the context that this is something that we're outworking from 250,000 years of deviant evolution. Now, not everything has evolved in a deviant manner. I don't want to suggest that. But so much of what we're seeing now within our social institutions breaking down, you see the corruption, the... um, the distortion of information that people have to deal with because this is all trying to keep people beholden to a state of being powerless and fearful instead of moving into the power that our creator gives us to be sovereign in who we are and to have the right to develop our spiritual potential, our creative potential. It's, it's, you know, these are polar opposites. So as the, as the, Life comes in, it's helping to break up the the old way, the old patterns of fear and control to lead us into what you might call more self-responsibility, self-accountability, where we are responsible for our actions and taking control back in our lives. So there's a lot of things that are happening at all different levels on the planet right now. And this book, The Women Who Love Jesus, is one of the, I would say, healing bombs to help women remember who they are as daughters of a divine mother who have the gift of life, who are here to nurture humanity back to a loving state of purposefulness. Well, Donna, this has been an incredible interview. I really wish we had more time. (laughs) <laughs> actually we do we, time is infinite but not here at this moment um, if you had a few moments to wrap this up I think you actually did wrap it up but if you'd like to add something please feel free to do that in closing I would like to just encourage people to open up to their own indwelling spirit of God because that is the most perfect way of becoming more of who you truly are. The spirit within knows you better than you know yourself, sees everything in you, sees everything that you may not like about yourself, and just wants to help you refine your human nature into a thing of such beauty that you can be an inspiration to others. And if you start to develop yourself in this way, and just spend time communing with your spirit, you are embarking on the most wonderful process that if everyone was doing that with uh, sincere commitment and devotion, this world would change almost automatically overnight. We would end our fractious relationships with one another, and we would be guided to create these social institutions that work for all humanity, not just for a chosen few. So I'd like to end with that. And please explore my website, the Institute of Christ Consciousness at institutechristconsciousness.org. My book is available on the books and recording page, which is found under the resource tab. And as well, please explore the services that we provide here. And if you feel a need for personal touch, uh, the healing facilitation that I do is life-changing. It will make you into a new person. It will bring you back to your true self and set you on a course of true inner peace and soul development. 
And thank you so much, Bruce, for this opportunity. Well, thank you very much, Donna. Uh, For the rest of you, I'd like to just say these few words. And that is this. I want to thank you for listening to Timeless Voyager series. I really appreciate your watching and listening to the series on both video and audio players. One thing you can do for me as the founder and the creator of Timeless Voyager is to hit that like button. And also, please subscribe. It really helps to keep me on the air so that I can keep producing content like the program you just watched on a regular basis. Subscribing and liking are free, and those very small actions on your part are greatly appreciated. My name is Bruce Stephen Holmes, and I hope that your own personal voyage through life towards the development of your highest potential is a joyous and successful one.
You.